As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In most films, effeminate men are portrayed as villains. Sissies who are morally weak because of their homosexuality. But this isn't always the case when it comes to comedy. Sissies are heroes because they are the misfits who have the courage to tell it like it is. Today, the fabulous Brian Sweeney joins me to take a look at some of the greatest sissies of all time. Listen as we sissy that walk down memory lane as we look at Frank Nelson, the yes man from the Lucy Show, to Scott Thompson's buddy Cole from The Kids in the Hall. All that fuss over a few extra S's. Plus, Won't You Be My Neighbor? The long-awaited documentary on Mr. Rogers is out in theaters. What happened when one of his castmates came out as gay to him in the late 1960s? Why sassy gay drunk guys stole a show in talk shows and game shows in the 70s and 80s. And the Paul Lynn Halloween special, Showbiz Trainwreck. I'm Fausto Fernos. I'm Brian Sweeney. And this is Feast of Fun. <laughs> Go fetch me something to drink fast up and make it wet. <laughs> you ninny. Why, you pusillanimous <laughs> pipsqueak. <laughs> 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 you tin-bladed boy! <laughs> you. Oh, 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 the pain, the pain. The pain. Oh, oh, dear William, <laughs> I fear this is going to be the end. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> You've uh, messed with us oh, for the last God. time, Dr. Smith. Oh, no. Never oh, fear, no, Dr. Smith is here. <laughs> Well, bully for you. Well, one of my all-time pop culture heroes has been Scott Thompson and his character Buddy Cole on Kids in the Hall. As a young gay man uh, growing up in Puerto Rico, 
Buddy Cole was a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. So you can imagine that Brian Sweeney and I, who have been very much influenced and uh, inspired by the kids in the hall, it was right, quite a delight to see Buddy Cole come to life and reenact his landmark monologues from the past 30 years. Well, there were new, a lot of... In uh, Chicago. A lot of never-before-seen monologues. Well, he did, he reenacted as an encore, one monologue from the Kids in the Hall. Uh, welcome TV to Feast of Fun, Brian. Uh, how How is it like to see Bonsoir. Buddy Cole sweaty in the flesh, inches away from your face? Amazing. Emphasis on the inches. Inches. <laughs> my, my copy of Latin Inches was soaked with the sweat. Um... It was uh, amazing. It was great. Um, all that and more. It was wonderful. And uh, we, was it? Was we it? Were, were you worried that you know? Because because we hold Buddy Cole and, and that character in such high regard. That coming see it in person. This is one thing that always makes me worried about seeing my heroes in person, especially if I really love them. You know, when I, when I first went to see Eartha Kitt in person, like I loved her so much that I was worried she was going to be mean or cruel or unkind and i've seen that happen with you know drag queens from rupaul's drag race did you meet Earthica? yeah i've actually hung out with Earthica several times and i hear that you have a tape of that we should play that of Earthica kit meeting you right now hello <laughs> get away from me <laughs> i'm sick and tired of these fans <laughs> oh no oh that was that was a, a terrible no, so, tape so uh, Eartha Kitt came to uh texas when i was li- going to college there and she was doing a benefit in houston texas for the opera and i got wind of it and Dear so i got houston some tickets like- and i drove for three and a half hours and hung outside the entrance stage entrance to the to the to the opera house and Eartha was walking in there, and I was like, Eartha, Eartha, it's me, Fausto. And she's like, oh, what? And, and I went up to her. She had just gotten back from the bank where she stole a giant jewel. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I don't have time for you. Get them, boys. And her henchmen all came after you. <laughs> so I gave her a packet of, of um, catnip seeds. And she's like, oh, I get it. They were perfect. Ah, and uh, I gave her a, a, her album, and I had her sign it, and she was like, uh, do you mind taking the cap off this pen, because I do not do caps. And you know uh, who her ex-husband was? Um, who, who who was her ex-husband? I'm blanking Krusty out. the Clown. Oh. <laughs> it was a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, that was like her last role. It that was, was a, the last thing she ever did. Yeah, yeah it was a few like sense. months after she died, they played a video <laughs> of her in court talking about her her marriage to Krusty the Clown. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kraslowski. So, you know... I understand what it's like to meeting somebody that you're very inspired by if you're an artist yourself and having that exchange go bad. And I can't say enough good things about Scott Thompson, how warm and kind he was and how generous he was. And, um, you know, it was interesting seeing you reacting to Scott Thompson sitting in the front row because I really wanted Scott Thompson to try to flirt with you. As Buddy Cole, because I felt like you're such a big part of this podcast, and then seeing such a iconic gay comedic sissy figure coming face to face was really something fun for me to witness. Well, there was because there is a interactive 
uh, elements, elements. and there was a part where he uh, had me hit him on the back so that he could get a word out. I don't yes. know if you remember that. I remember yeah, that. So I thought you were going to hit him on the ass or, or something. Yes. <laughs> I was scared. I didn't want to hit him. I didn't know what was you going on. You were so and, timid about it. It's like, well, don't yeah, hit the celebrity. You can't just, what if I hit him too hard? He's like, and then he just like starts coughing in the Security! Security! This man is assaulting me! I feel like a cashew. I'm being assaulted. Oh, dear. <laughs> And Where that's the, the kind hell? of comedy. Two no, is it two peanuts are walking down the street? One was assaulted. Yes. So it was great to seeing Buddy Cole come to life, and you and I started talking about how much Buddy Cole builds upon these great sissies of comedy. And I, I didn't use the word sissies. Well, great. great. What would you? No, what, what would I, you I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I wasn't like, man. Well, these sissies, <laughs> because that's how I talk. I'm like, you know, he's a pretty good sissy. You know what I mean? Well, because they're not a lot of these, you know, characters or actors in in comedy. They're not necessarily uh, gay men. There are some of them were straight guys who took on these gay characters uh, for comedic effect. Uh, sometimes at the at the at the expense of gay people, but um, many times it was in loving tribute to homosexuality. Yeah, there's, uh, I noticed a lot of, uh, not a lot, but there's, uh, Rip Taylor is definitely in Buddy uh, Cole in the way that he says, when he's talking and he says a word, that's very, like, Rip Taylor. And It's fabulous! Oh! And, uh, there, well, there's, uh, I felt like there was Rip Taylor, Paul Lind, and some Charles, Charles Nelson, Nelson Riley. Riley. But, which makes complete sense because, and Rip Taylor was sure. on an episode of The Kids in the Hall, uh, Shelley 2000. The, the episode, the show, the, the episode that almost, uh, broke up the entire Kids in the Hall. What? What happened? It, it's an entire episode of just. When they were fighting? Uh, for real? No, it's, there's no sketches. It's just one long sketch of buddy and in a chalet 2000 and the that. queen it's in uh, season five season four it's either four or five but anyway yeah it was a why, tough... why did it almost break the kids in the hall apart in real life they were they were not yeah, happy with it i'm not sure i don't know if they were really there was like a couple things that almost broke the troop apart um well, I feel like I, that's uh, questions for uh, Scott Thompson when he comes back on the yeah, podcast. I think it was month. just like Scott wanted to do an entire episode of just Buddy Cole and have like one long narrative. And I assume the other four guys were like, what? No, like we we're becoming some- housemates to this, um, this gayala, this, yeah. yes, this homo. They, uh, yes, all of these, uh, <laughs> all these Jews, <laughs> all these <laughs> Jewish New York Canadians were like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, he's rolling around. He's on. He's so up. this is a common question I get asked because we, you know, research a lot of comedy and culture and gay history. Is why are there so many sissies in cartoon character voices, especially in the nineteen seventies? And a big answer: uh, Why Sna- Snagglepuss? Oh, you know, all those voices came out. It, they they trace their origins to vaudeville. And vaudeville oh, yeah. in the United States was a place where gender nonconformity, where homosexuality, where misfits and outcasts and immigrants could share the stage together and make modest careers out of entertaining the masses. 
And unlike the you know television and film, um, uh, vaudeville was a space where people celebrated that diversity, and homosexuality was uh, de rigueur. It was uh, it was part of the fabric of that entertainment genre. And so you look at Abbott and Costello, you look at Stan Laurel, you look at early um, Charlie Chaplin, um, the sissy character was a very important aspect of their, of their work. And so when you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lind and um, Rick Taylor, but they built of- on the careers of a lot of these vaudevillians who, in the early days of radio, made their transition from vaudeville to uh, radio and then to stage and film. Well, Snagglepuss is directly a rip of Burt Lair. Burt Lair? Lair? Yeah. Lair of the Cowardly Lion from uh, Wizard of Oz, who is... That's a that's a, one of the a, greatest that sissies. Is like a golden yeah. sissy. There's a, if I were the yeah. king of the forest and not the duke, yes, not and, the queen. And he's uh, <laughs> and like the fact and being cowardly and uh, what's code of, for being gay? I'm, and maybe, they put but the, they put bows in his hair when he goes to the Emerald City. Well, yes, because he got. He he had gotten a uh, he was washed and stuff. So that's what happens when when uh, you get a dog or whatever washed at a grooming service. That's why he had. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, everything's gay. That's why <laughs> everything. I have was a good gay. quote about Frank, that. L. Frank Baum was like, "This is all gay." But the thing about that is, he came from the vaudevillian stage yeah. and, and vaudeville and stuff, and also that comes out of burlesque, which. Uh, is like sort of ground zero of camp and not even just sort of the gay thing, but just when you're scared being like, ah, like, because like you become more womanly or whatever when you're scared. So like they would play on that. So uh, being cowardly also had a thing of being this sort of uh, uh more female type of thing where you're like, oh my god. Well, yeah, and certainly, you know, Don't homosexuality and effeminacy in men was code for more weak morality. It was some, but it was not necessarily sinister like it became later on in films. And, and certainly, you know, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show sort of parodies that of the the sissy, the effeminate uh, characters, the villain. Um, Paul Lind in the in Hollywood Squares was asked one time. By the host Peter Marshall. In The Wizard of Oz, the lion wanted courage and the tin man wanted a heart. What did the scarecrow want? He wanted the tin man to notice him. (laughs) (laughs) Gilbert Gottfried tells a great story of uh, Paul Lind, and it's a Gilbert Gottfried story, and he does it better, but he said um, Paul Lind was uh, booked at some uh, place to do comedy or whatever and it turned out to be like a barn or something and it was like a real like place with like animals and stuff so like he got in there the animals were gone but then they made it into like a makeshift stage but it still smelled and paul and apparently said this place smells like cunt i think <laughs> <laughs> and then he apparently also always was like, 
the goddamn Jews are why I'm not famous. <laughs> Paul Lynn was a racist, anti-Semitic. He was a hateful ball of rage. He's the original hateful queen. Yes, uh, they said that like every everyone at Hollywood Squares would be like enjoying themselves and eating lunch together. Paul Lynn would just be. Off by himself, mumbling in a corner about the goddamn chess, and then I can go to my trailer and drink this. I hate Darren. <laughs> so today uh, we're taking a look at the greatest sissies in comedy and showbiz history, uh, all the way from the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz to the modern day to to YouTube stars. Um, and who do you feel like? To me. One of the greatest sissies in the, you know, transition from vaudeville to stage is Frank, actor Frank Nelson. And you guys know him from The Lucy Show. He was a department store clerk or bank teller who'd always deny Lucille Ball no. service by going, yes. Oh, I'm afraid we're closed now, Mrs. Ricardo. Why do you talk like that? I had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank Nelson um, developed that character early on in his career uh, w with Jack Benny on his radio show. And so many great voices and comedic talent. Mel Blanc, who did most of the voices for uh, Warner Brothers, you know, from Bugs Bunny to Yosemite Sam and Daffy Duck. All of those. He used to have a bucket of carrots. Yeah. For, and he would spit the carrots out. Oh, he actually used a car actual yeah. carrots to... Uh, yeah, and he, he was either allergic to carrots or he hated carrots, but <laughs> he would just have a bucket of carrots, and he'd be like, hey, what's up, Doc? Snap. And he'd just have to spit the carrots out. Yeah, but Frank Nelson, like, he did that character for years and years and years and years. And to this day, like, when I work in retail or... I'm, you know, denying service to a customer. I'm like turning to my coworker. And I'm like, I'm afraid we're all out. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> There's just something really satisfying and joyful about the way Frank Nelson related to Lucille Ball in those shows, and um, you know, he lives on in The Simpsons. He's a character uh, in The Simpsons that they regularly have. Yes. <laughs> Uh, he died in 86, September 12th, 1986. You think he was gay, but he was, uh, I, I guess he was married with kids. He was quite the coxman. He loved ladies. Says that he fucked so many ladies that his dick fell off. That's not true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it says on Wikipedia. Uh, so, just yeah. like uh, Tony Curtis, who we'll get to with Some Like It Hot, he said, Tony Curtis said, every star... I fucked him. He goes, all of them, all the hottest actresses, I fucked him. And if I ain't fucked them, I fucked their stand-in. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, because uh, some like it hot, you know, carries a lot of that vaudeville sensibility. And it's one of the greatest films. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, Marilyn Monroe is in it. Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon play a bunch of con artists that cross-dress to avoid the mob. Escaping escape Chicago. From the mob. And at the end of the film, um, one of the captain falls in love with Jack Lemmon. And Jack Lemmon reveals to him that he is a cross-dresser. He's not who he thinks he is. Joey Brown. He was, uh, Joey yeah, Brown. He was a uh, So what does Joey Brown say to Jack Lemmon? That is the last line in Some Like It Hot. Um... 
He's he's just talking about like how hot he is or how much he because also this is a worn trope whether it's Curly from the Three Stooges, Bugs Bunny, if a male character puts on a dress, someone will be drawn to them and love in a them. way that like is cra- like they will not be able to live without them, and that's just like a well worn. Uh, trope. In We're all whatever. just at one pretty dress away from falling in love with each other. Yes. So, like, Curly objectively <laughs> does not make an attractive woman. Well, maybe to some people. Fine, that's fine. But to the lengths that people seem to go insane when Curly has on, like, lipstick, <laughs> lipstick and a dress, and they're like, oh, I'm in love with you. And he's like, man, no thanks. <laughs> and they're like, no. But anyway, Joey Brown says to Jack Lemon. Uh, he's like talking to, he's taking him away, like on his little boat, a speedboat. And then, yeah. um, she, he says, I, uh, we can't get married. Yeah. Cause I'm a man. And he says, yeah, he says, nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's and perfect. After all, it's a, but it's, I mean, go back and watch it. Cause there's a whole thing of like, I can't have kids. And he's like, that's okay. Well, adopt. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm, he's like, all right, I'm not a woman. And he says, well, nobody's perfect. And that's how the movie ends. With the Three Stooges, uh, we are very familiar with Curly Joe, uh, Or No, Curly. Curly Joe is Curly Joe Dorita, which is the final Curly. And there then was, there was Shemp. Their first, what was the uh, the uh, the third one? Mo, Larry, and Curly. Yes. Then, well, that's the, technically it was Mo, Larry, and Shemp. Then Shemp left, and they became Mo, and Shemp Mo Larry, and Mo and Howard Curly. And were brothers in real life. And Curly. Yeah. Mo. Shemp and Curly were all brothers. Real life brothers. And Larry Fine was played the violinist. Feinberg. Yes. He, uh, he, yes. Um, so then, um, so they all kind of retired because they, they were physically assaulting each other and it actually got to them when you were kids, like, and you found out that, that the original Curly died before the other ones did. Did you feel a little bit bad about it? (laughs) Like, like they, they murdered him on television and we were thought it was a joke. Shemp died. Uh, they told he told he apparently was in uh, the backseat of a cab, and he told a joke, and then he said the punchline, and then he just put his head down and died. That's, that's how a story. I will die, just for yeah, the record. That's a story. Yeah. It's probably not true, but never let the truth get in the good way, way of a good story. But um, yeah, Curly had a stroke. He kept Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Up with it. You can see some of the shorts with Curly after the stroke. There's something off. <laughs> then when uh, Curly like had another stroke, he left. And uh, I don't want to fight no more. Yeah, Shemp, Shemp came on because <laughs> uh, Shemp had tried to make it by himself uh, for a while. But and then so, so and then so then uh, and then when Shemp died, they uh, brought on Joe Besser, who no one remembers. People constantly say Curly Joe Besser, 
but there is no Curly Joe Besser. He was just Joe Besser. And he was a very different character from the other guys. Yes. He, well, he was fat and bald, so they were like, good enough. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> let's hit each other with wrenches. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a big old sissy. Yes. And he's like, ah, Mo. And Joe Besser says that he doesn't want to get hit with a wrench. And Mo's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to get hit? And Joe Besser's like, yeah, I'm not getting hit, you gonna give you such a pinch and he's like well then well i'm just gonna hit larry more ow and i guess joe besser the the sissy stooge wrote into his contract that he couldn't be physically assaulted by the other two and and for whatever reason the studio was like i don't see why that would be a problem for the three stooges <laughs> and so uh, he uh, did. He do how many shorts did he do? Like I think how, he only how long did, did like thirteen or something. And then I forget why he left. But then he left, and then that's when Curly Joe, or maybe they Curly Joe, I think was only in the movies that. I think it was just because it was the end of the Stooges' sure. like contract with the Columbia Shorts or whatever, whoever they were with at that point. So they just threw this guy in who had his own like comedy and whatever. And then Curly Joe Dorita, who is, when we talk about Curly Joe, that's who it is. He's a much, He was the final one. He's the final guy. The one that you see in the movies. With the them, movies that yeah. aren't that great and they're... The slow pacing. Very, yeah, they're much older. They're in outer space. They yeah, fight the three Frankenstein and the werewolf and they're just... And it's, you know, basically a knockoff of uh, Abbott and Costello movies well it's much like star trek it was because uh the shorts started being shown in syndication so the three stooges had this uh resurgence among kids and people like love the three stooges again and like they didn't have a third person anymore and they didn't make any money from the shorts like they were just basically hired guns from the studios so they signed off didn't have any rights to any of the work and uh the the original three stooges or you know Mo Howard and Larry Fine, um, they basically, you know, struggled financially for most of their lives, didn't they? Yeah, they all those people, because like the there was such like this huge change in show business that like things and then like with the advent of television and shit like that, like. Things just after, especially like after World War Two, like everything, everything about the entire like world or modern world or Western world like that we know of, uh, it it created this whole new different reality. And that reality also started to include televisions and like movie theaters and teenagers and all these things. So. So, yeah, the sissy was Joe Besser, and he used to say stuff like, I'll give you such a pinch. And he was in (laughs) Abbott and Costello things. Like, he showed up in a bunch of different things. But, yeah, he was a sissy character as well. So then the 60s rolled around, and Broadway was a great space, and Broadway musicals that gave the introduction to some of the great sissies of the 60s and 70s. And certainly um, New Faces... From 1952, which is a, a, a review comedy musical showcase. It introduced the world to Eartha Kitt, uh, Robert Clary, Alice Ghostly, Carol Lawrence, and Paul Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who describes himself, I'm just like Liberace, but without the piano. <laughs> yeah, and there was like some People magazine thing I was reading about Paul Lynn, and he was like, I'm glad I. <laughs> 
It's like from 1972 where he's like, I want a movie career. And then he goes, I'm glad I never got a gay following. Yeah, he was uh, very much at odds with his homosexuality and... You know, Aren't he was, we all? He was the original self-loathing homosexual. I think he was also just self-loathing. Like, I feel like Paul Lind would have hated himself regardless of what he was. He said, I don't know who the hell people think Paul Lind is or why they think he's funny or interesting. <laughs> and I prefer it to be a mystery to me. Now, Donny Osmond, why don't you come over here with that tutu? Mm-hmm. 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 Give me that Mormon butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, stay out of here, Marie. We're working on a sketch. So, Paul Lind also became a regular fixture on the strange phenomena of TV musical variety shows. And uh, the the Cher show, the Donnie Marie show, and Paul Lind even had his own Halloween special that was co-written by Bruce Valanche, a bunch of stoned out pothead gay hippies. And it, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the most amazing showbiz train wrecks of all time. It stars uh, Kiss, Florence Henderson, and the height of the Brady Bunch. Margaret Hamilton. And Margaret Hamilton. I'll get you. <laughs> I'll get you, you little sissy. <laughs> all in musical numbers. And, uh, you know, and it's it's quite a interesting show, to say the least. Was yeah. Margaret Hamilton... Dresses the witch, um, and and when there's a scene with Margaret Hamilton and Billy uh, Billy Hayes, it's is her name Billy Hayes or, or the, Billy Barty. Uh, she played um, Witchy Poo, Wilhelmina, and the two of them are in a skit together. That Billy Hayes, yes, Billy Hayes, and um, and the Osmonds, of course, and the Osmonds, and it's just it's just, it's just a wonderful mishmash of pop culture history. Um, Paul Lynn is really uh, forgotten as uh, one, the, as Mar- Anne Margaret's father in Bye Bye Birdie. And he's the one who popularized oh. the song, What's the Matter with Kids Today? Stop looking at my 15-year-old daughter's huge tits. <laughs> what? I'm not supposed to say it? I know what you're all thinking. <laughs> Keep your hands off her. She's gross. <laughs> I don't even know. What's the appeal? Later on, give me Tab he, Hunter any day. <laughs> he did the gluttonous rat Templeton in uh, Charlotte's Web. Oh, Piggy Tuscadero was in the Halloween, the Pollen Halloween special. Oh my God! If anyone wants to watch a show. It's the entire thing is on YouTube, and I'll um, I'll post it on the show notes comments. We've done a podcast about the Paul Lynn Halloween special, so if you are a Plus member, go to feastoffun.com and search for Paul Lind and listen to us talk extensively about it. It's just the seventies, like everything is the, everything. Fucking Florence Henderson is in it. Kiss. Yeah, Mar- I wasn't pulling your leg. Yeah, Pinky Tuscadero, Tim Conway, Betty White, the Osmonds. This is yeah, wow. And so um. that led to him and another co-star from uh, from uh, Bye Bye Birdie, Charles Nelson Riley, originated uh, the roles on Broadway to be regulars on on game shows in the 1970s that allowed them to flourish to. Uh, have double entendres with their homosexuality. So if if Hollywood Squares was the show that let Paul and Shine match game, which now 
fans of RuPaul's Drag Race recognize a snatch game. <laughs> what a pun. What an amazing pun. Was a place where gay wisecrackers could have an answer for anything. What Weisenheimers. The Paulin show. Uh, yeah. So you know Charles Nelson Riley. Can, can you do the voice difference between Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lynn? Yeah. Paul Lynn. That's like. That's Charles Nelson Riley. Charles Nelson Riley talks more with a you know Brooklyn well, yeah. accent, and, but he also always has spittle. Oh, 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 oh. He has spittle always coming out of his the sides yes. of his mouth. He carry he literally carries around a handkerchief to wipe the sides of his mouth. If you he's in the uh, classic start uh, X Files episode, uh, Jose Chung is from outer space. Space. Um, he uh, here's a here's a joke from uh, uh, Match Game. He said. Um, you know, I ne- I never go to sorry. I never. <laughs> and, and you also have to understand in the 70s, everyone was dressed like boat captains yeah. on the match game. Everyone had these like scarves and like they looked like they boat were hat, about Captain to just, hats, yeah. yeah, like about to just walk out and huh, let's go on my schooner. I never go to pornographic movies. Why? Because it's not any good to see someone have more fun in an hour and a half than you've had in a lifetime. <laughs> That's a joke. That's the joke he delivered. He, uh, Charles Nelson Riley is really interesting because he was traumatized as a young child. He was one of the few people to survive the 1944 Hartford Circus Fire that killed 169 people in Connecticut in a giant big top circus show. Big top like Anne Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, later on, uh, Charles Nelson Riley became a regular on uh, Love American Style, which was kind of a, you know, a a TV show that had comedic romantic sketches and The Love Boat. Was there any spinoffs from it? Yeah, the love boat. Not just the love boat. Happy days. Happy days. Happy days. Hey, that. Yeah. hey, over here. AIDS. AIDS. Oh, what? Charles. And then in 1971, uh, Charles Nelson Riley appeared as Hoodoo, the evil magician, in the Sid and Marty Croft psychedelic Saturday morning live action show, Lidsville, where a young. Uh, uh, Billy falls into a magic hat and l- f- winds up in a world where everybody is hats except Charles Nelson Riley and the boy uh, who played um, Eddie in the Munsters. Oh, oh where's Spike? Was that? Shit, I don't remember the Munsters. Yeah, that. No, is his name Spike? What was the name of the thing underneath the. Eddie Munster's the pet. Underneath. Eddie Munster was His played name is Butch by Patrick. I know Butch that. Patrick. Yeah, and Butch Patrick grew up to be quite attractive. I gotta say, uh, Butch like me. <laughs> I wouldn't mind him sinking his teeth into my neck. How about this? We get Butch and Thing from the Adams family and have a gale time. <laughs> And, you know, Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lind uh, were regulars on a lot of these. Uh, and Rip Taylor, too, you know. Ah. And there were there were people who sort of made their way from comedy and, and, and Broadway and showbiz into being these Phil uh, characters, personalities for The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and a lot of these uh, game shows. And and they were certainly like an, an unreplaceable act aspect of these shows. 
Meanwhile, you having in the um, you know in in on television, um, and right now the a documentary on his life is Mister Rogers. Who's uh, not a comedian? McFailey. <laughs> hey, pet, summer's close your legs. <laughs> the cats are circling. So, Mister Rogers' uh, documentary is now out in theaters. Won't you beat my neighbor? Can I tell you something? Yeah, so what would you like to tell me? I like you. Oh, thank you. I like you, too. The most important thing is for a child to know that they are loved and can be loved. (laughs) You know, as a kid, I never had a grandfather. Both of my grandparents... Except for my grandmother. We're hiding. We're dead <laughs> oh. long before I was born. And so I always ask my mom, uh, where are my grandparents? And they, they went to heaven before you were born. And so as a kid, I imagined that Mr. Rogers was my grandfather. And when I realized that my grandfather was dead, in some ways, I was mourning the loss of Mr. Rogers. And I cried so much. Uh, Mr. Rogers was somebody who was kind, who was a slow television, much like podcasts. He was ahead of his time in getting people to slow down and think about their feelings. He felt that, and one of his greatest contributions was that that dramatic tension in television can come from talking about your feelings as much as it comes from violence. And that it's extremely important to create content for children that is not driven by advertising or by the need to sell them things, but to, uh, about letting them grow emotionally. And um, he had one of his cast members was uh, a Broadway actor named Francois Clemens, who was cast as Officer Clemens. And is famous for that pool scene in 1969 where Mr. Rogers and a black man take their shoes off and wet their feet in a little kitty pool together. It was hot. It was sexy. <laughs> and if, if you think that's gay, feet, if you think that's if gay, if you think two grown men just getting barefoot and putting their feet in a kitty pool and sitting next to each other and be like, this fails nice. That's not gay. Come on, man. It turns out that Clemens was actually gay and came out to Mr. Rogers uh, several years before that was filmed. And uh, at Mr. Rogers' urging, uh, Clemens married a woman in 1968, but divorced her six years later. Um, Mr. Rogers said he still loved him and and, uh, accepted him, and there was nothing wrong with being gay. And it just, you know, it's really an interesting thing to see people criticizing Mr. Rogers today on social media because they feel like somehow him not sacrificing his television show to defend one of his cast members coming out as gay and instead saying, you know, let's put that aside and work for the greater good of building empathy in the world. But by reaching children um, wasn't something that was admirable. Well, there was that episode where Cornflake especially gay bashed him, and that was a really upsetting episode, <laughs> especially when Daniel T- Stripe Tiger just started joined in, and they started feeding all the gays to Daniel o. Tiger. That was scary. Well, I feel like, you know, uh, what is it that... The one who speaks like this who has a red nose because she's an alcoholic. Red Oh, is that Henrietta... No, Lady Elaine Fairchild. Uh, I think that was her name. Yes, Lady Elaine Fairchild. And she was and a Henry, puppet Henry who a owned a yeah. museum. And I think she might have been an old Punch and Judy doll that was just, you know, recreated as to be 
a character on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But she, to me, I always felt that she was an iconic butch lesbian <laughs> character who always called everyone toots dismissively and was did not need a man. And she ran that museum and uh, and just, you know, was fiercely independent. And, and that character, in a lot of ways, was very revolutionary for its time. And her prized possession was the boomerang, tumoring, zoomerang. Oh, yeah. So she could throw this. Touch, throw and, it and boomerangs look like open legs. <laughs> and that's what Mr. Rogers was getting at. So there's rumors that Mr. Rogers was a sniper in Vietnam. Oh, and I um, got a bush for you to snipe in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Denang, that feels good. And it's interesting, like, a lot of people believe that myth that Mr. Rogers secretly was this bloodthirsty killer. With Alfalfa. Remember Alfalfa died? Did you ever you ever hear that no. one? Alfalfa also died uh, in, in Vietnam. In Vietnam. <laughs> Which isn't even true, but, like, the real story of Alfalfa was terrible. He was so the United States uh, Navy SEALs website addresses it and says know. that Mr. Rogers was born in 1928 and thus at the time of the U.S. involvement in Vietnam, he would have been too old to enlist in the U.S. Navy. Hey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't think I won't take this sweater off and show you my medal. Yeah, that's so That's what the rumors were saying, that he had all the the killings tattooed on his arm. <laughs> And that's why he wore the sweater so you wouldn't see it. He also would carry around one tooth of each victim of the Viet Cong in his in his pocket. And that's what he walked in with. And that's why he would have to change his sweater because they were like, you can't just keep around teeth. It'll rattle on camera. And he's like, well, these are my trophies. And he put them away. Yeah. Uh, what if Mr. What do you think? What if for Rogers when he took off his shirt? He looked like groundskeeper Willie, and he was just ripped. I know he's not because they even show. You know, there was the an trailer. episode of Mr. Rogers where they show him nearly naked. Well, they show him in the trailer for uh, "Will You Be My Neighbor," like swimming. Yes. so you can see he that looked- was the disturbing Mr. Rogers episode where they film him underwater swimming and doing uh, pirouettes and cartwheels and stuff. And, and then Coco, the gorilla, comes in, and he's like, "What are you doing here, Coco?" And he's like, "We have to go back to Nam." You remember this episode? So one of the more famous uh, Mr. Rogers episodes, too, was he met with Coco, the sign language gorilla. And later it was revealed that Coco, the gorilla, gorilla was sexually harassing the female handlers by requesting that they show her breasts in order to bond with the gorilla to work as an employee for the Coco Gorilla Foundation. I used to do that with Anne Margaret. I'm just kidding. That would be gross. It's gross. I'm glad I didn't have a gay following of goddamn juice. Uh, you know, Paul Lind was actually, he was invited to Northwestern University. Uh, he was given him, uh, supposed to be given a medal, and he was waiting, I guess, in line at a fast food restaurant. And the dean or one of the, the you know, chancellors of the school was in front of him and he just turned to him because the line wasn't moving fast enough and says shouldn't you be working behind the counter here and uh when the school got wind of his overt racism they they basically canceled the ceremony and sent him home that's a great line i'm hilarious (laughs) i'm so funny i have to you know in some ways i have to forgive these 
and complete gay men who are doing the best that they can to live in a very difficult, hateful world. I mean, Quentin Crisp is another example of somebody who he was the original uh, twink who grew up to be the queeniest, sassiest elder gay statesman. And one of his quotes uh, says, I don't think you can really be proud of being gay because it isn't something you've done. You can only be proud of not being ashamed. The worst part of being gay is not being gay. <laughs> that was my Oscar Wilde. Uh, he was famous for his memoirs that were turned into a miniseries, The Naked Civil Servant, that ran on television in 1975. And he ruffled feathers uh, throughout his life by uh, making fun or making light of the struggle that LGBT people went through. Um, but most notably by calling AIDS a fad <laughs> and homosexuality a terrible disease. And like a lot of these, um, um, you know, gay iconoclast sissies, they lived in very, they struggled financially throughout their lives um, and, um, and lived in very humble uh, spaces in New York cities. And he uh, regularly, time and time again, he was in, uh, involved in many documentaries, and one that I really recommend. Uh, people who are interested in sort of examining the sissy in cinema and film history is a uh, celluloid closet, which is narrated by Lily Tomlin and it interviews a lot of people uh, talking about these iconic gay sissy characters in film. And, um, you know, Quentin's Chris, I actually got to meet him in person. Did you know that, Brian? Of course. I read your autobiography. <laughs> he Fausto, came, a life. He came to uh, the Gay and Lesbian Film Festival in Austin, Texas, and he was just so bitchy. <laughs> you said, such an honor to meet you, Mr. Capote. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was a lot like Truman Capote. He was just somebody who was famous for being gay. Besides, you know, but Truman Quinn Capote wrote these amazing books. I mean, In Cold Blood is one of the greatest novels Quint, of all time. Quentin Crisp, I think, is different than Truman. Truman Capote is obviously like an asshole in a but in always in like the Oscar Wilde version of like always like pithy ways of saying like when he's like when Dick Cavett be like, No, do you like Jack Kerouac? And he's like, Well, Jack Kerouac doesn't write so much as type and you're like, God damn that that seems mean. I'm not sure what it means, but like, yeah, man, that, that sounds mean. Whereas Quentin Crisp, like, no, Jack Kerouac should just kill himself, and you'd be like, God damn. Well, you have to imagine the world where a lot of gay men they would try to disappear. You know, it's like um, my mother's best friend in high school was playwright Terrence McNally. And I grew up uh, hearing stories about Terrence all throughout my life, and I was always very struck about how. In some ways, very nonchalant, very bland, very uh, everyday um, Terrence McNally was. As a young gay boy, I thought all gay men were like Charles Nelson Riley or Paul Lynde. You like know? my grandfather, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I thought they were all, you know, just hilarious, but not people that I could relate to. You know, they were they seemed lar larger than live personalities. And in a lot of ways, a lot of these gay entertainers. They were larger than life because of the ways of surviving. It was a way of um, uh, getting through the hard times, you know. And then the AIDS crisis hit, and a lot of these uh, great talents were lost forever for, to, through time, and we lost them. And and I think you know Scott Thompson's work as with Body Cole in some ways is a way to 
channel and bring all that energy and all that wit and wisdom into the modern world. And so I'm really excited that Scott Thompson is bringing Buddy Cole back to life for a whole new generation. I just not sure if the world is ready for Buddy Cole yet. And I think it was an interesting thing when he kept pushing those boundaries that that the audience may not have been comfortable when he, you know what I'm saying? Scott Thompson, yes, because he gets into transgender debate, he gets in and he gets into the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and not to give anything away. But you can feel the entire audience being like, oh, no. <laughs> because You're like, oh, man, we were all having such a nice time, and now he's about to ruin the entire night because he's going to say bad things about Me Too. But that's part of, like, the greatness because Scott Thompson is a master, mm-hmm. and he pulls off the magic trick of... Being able to say something interesting and not like necessarily offensive in a way that uh, I find a lot of times offensive things come about because they're not well thought out. They're people talking, and then once they start getting pushback, they try to start justifying more, and then it just gets worse and worse. And this was obviously different than that where you were like in safe hands and it was almost like being in a roller coaster where you're like oh we're really hot we're gonna die and then you don't you know because you're on a roller coaster and everything is safe and scott thompson is amazing in that way because he is like it's just it's a magic trick and um so but i i don't think the the problem isn't uh the world being ready for buddy cole it's we don't know what we're ready for. What we think we're ready for is stuff like a Justice League movie or, to put it in Hollywood terms, or a Han Solo movie. When we're given things that we think we want, we very often don't want them. When we're given things that we're not sure we want, when we give things that we don't necessarily want but like what we need in a way— we and are given things that we don't know that we want is what is the good part. And that's what I feel Buddy Cole is. So it's not like, what are people, when you look at stuff and you're like, what are people listening to right now? This is the song to put out. When you put it out and it just sounds like everything else, it sucks. And the, But when you have like something a little bit new that you don't know that you should have been asking for, that's where the magic is. And that's where Buddy Cole is and like what you were saying of the like the living history of Buddy Cole of this guy who lived through AIDS and lived and is also a magical sprite that can meet Muhammad or meet Santa Claus or whatever like anything he's He's a force of nature he's not even that he's magic like he's able to do anything and he he's not a realistic character um the fact that he's silly it, it, it makes you let your guard down because it's funny because you allow it to come because it's a cartoon character and with that comes like it's quietly like seeping in the actual thing that's being said and you're not having your guard up as you would if it was just like a normal, just Scott Thompson himself, just like telling these things might be a little harder. 
And that's and, – and so, he, I mean, he knows all this. That's what he's – he's Scott Thompson. He's part of the Kids in the Hall. The Kids in the Hall, even if you, like, go back to it, it's not any it, – Kids in the Hall is such a strange show that you can't compare to any other type of comedy or sketch comedy show with how it is. You could but do you say think it was influential to other comedians? Or? Definitely. Yeah. But it's still different than everything. Like, you can say it's kind of like Monty Python, but not really. It's kind of like Saturday Night Live, but not really. Because there's it's, two things. If, if you're influential to somebody else and you made a lot of money, they usually give you credit. If you're influential to somebody else and you didn't make a lot of m- uh, money at it, they never give you credit. Well, yeah. That's also like the first ones over the hill or the first ones through the door, whichever you want to say. Like, they're the ones that die. And so, like, Robert sure. Johnson, he might have created all these, like, blues riffs and shit, but he... Nobody knows who they are, yeah. yeah. and so, like, but the like Chuck Berry and then going out with, like, the Rolling Stones and stuff, like, they get it because... But it's also, like, a lot of times when you first make something, like, when you first invent a radio, it's not the best it can be yet. Someone else comes in and adds like a little bit to it that pushes it into the thing that it has to be. And that's when the Beatles hit like you with you have like Elvis and you have all the Motown groups and stuff. And then all of that like comes together and the Beatles happen. And like without all of that, you can't have the Beatles. But the Beatles also took everything and made it into this special thing that transcends everything well that's why i feel like you know with the podcast you know we've pioneered a lot of stuff on the show and it's like 80 percent of our audience knows us as the cooking with drag queens guys you know and it's like they're asking like the question i get asked is like when is brian gonna cross dress so you're gonna do like have him as a drag queen in the kitchen on cooking with drag queens i don't believe you've ever been asked these things yeah. Here's, actually, oh, here's what I think. I could give you names. If you I want. think that you say things to make <laughs> me feel good. Because the other, we were ahead. Audience, I, let, weigh in. Should Brian Sweeney cross dress on a future episode of Cooking with Drag Queens? Let him know. I don't know if the, don't this, take my word for it. I'm just reading Rainbow, oh, honey. We were on the phone and you said, "Don't take my word for it." Go to your local library and start reading. We were recently on the phone and you said uh, a lot of people compare you to uh, David Letterman. That's what you said to no, me. No, no, no. I said uh, your voice sounds a lot like David Letterman at his young age. Ah, but I also know that you like to finesse your guests and your people, I feel. Oh, you think I'm I'm, I'm secretly manipulative to making you feel good about yourself? Of course. I mean, you like like people. How dare you put these feelings in my heart? Uh I wanted to suffer. I wanted to cry. And now you're making me happy. (laughs) Oh, you're like a Burt Lair. And that's the story you didn't know. Oh, yes. Yeah, but yeah, like the kids in the hall. Yeah, I mean, I'm, great. I just want to say this: great art introduces you to ideas you didn't know existed, but once you discover them through this art, you are eternally grateful for knowing about them. Yeah, and n- whereas advertising and commercials is taking things you're already aware of and just giving you more of the same. But I, I, I think that you can have great art be advertising it just has to be like it because there is advertising that does transcend everything whatever but um a thing about like 
the kids in the hall or whatever you want to talk about, people always, and it's, we have this weird thing as human beings where we never like to give full credit to people. And I, I, I feel like it's because, and let me finish, let me just explain what I mean. Because it takes power away from yeah, us. Yeah, and because it also feels like a vulnerability. Yeah. It's, and so, like, let's just say the Beatles, because that's a very easy one to talk about, regardless of whether you or not you're familiar. You know a band named the Beatles. That were pretty, they were pretty big guys. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Bingo, uh, Bingo Bar, Roseanne Barr's son. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Uh, Bingo. But the Beatles like borrowed a lot. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, from artists like Little Richard, for example. Well, yes. Another but, famous yes. sissy. But um, what I was going to say, yeah. like, and then people are like, well, deals are good, but... They took all their stuff like without like they wouldn't have come around if it wasn't for like the Shirelles or like all these other things of like the Motown people or the blues people. And it's like, yes, because literally that is how creation works. Every single thing is built upon something else. Nothing has ever, ever started aside from maybe the Big Bang and who knows how that started out of nothing, you can't. So just, you're cool with uh, RuPaul uh, borrowing uh, the opening riffs of Azalea Banks's song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, RuPaul. I Speaking don't. Of another famous sissy. I honestly yeah. would never think of RuPaul as creative, <laughs> as someone that would come up with something. Listen, uh, RuPaul unique. has contributed a lot to the world of drag, and regardless if you're a fan of his or not, you can't deny uh, the influence. He's had on 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 cross dressing entertainers. This is also like a weird thing of, and this is off topic, but whatever. Like, we also want like Buddy Cole is also a great thing because he's alive, and it's weird to have a person who has survived everything still be someone that like we want to hear from because. Another thing is, and this is probably because, as again, as human beings, we love youth and we just love it. And we we try to pretend like like we don't need to love youth, but like we love youth. Like the reason why we're attracted to young people is because our literal biology is saying that like we need youth to create more of us. But what I'm saying is like we like it when our artists die. And that is a weird thing that I wonder about because – Watching like RuPaul's Drag Race or even just drag in general right now, modern, there is a lot of uh, different types of drag, but it all, not all, most all, almost all, seems to stem straight from Divine. Divine seems to just have this crazy thing and i wonder it was the punk rock movement and and it's never seemed to move on from there like everything about like divine's makeup and stuff is still seen everywhere in drag and it's like what if divine had lived and i'm not just talking about drag because it's also happened with like tupac and biggie kurt cobain like 
the people, if Kurt Cobain lived, we would not be talking about him as much as we do. The same way we don't talk about Eddie Vedder the same way. Same way with, like, Tupac and Biggie. Like, the reason why these people exist, James Dean, like, all those people that lived back then, if they don't die at a special age of, like, 27 or whatever, we don't like them anymore. And we don't have... why do you think the record labels are... Uh, you know, more than happy to refill their prescriptions for them because they know that their catalog is more valuable when they're dead than when they're alive. It is like a strange thing. And the only thing that I can think is because youth is what always pushes culture, no matter what. It's always youth. If you keep around people who are in their 40s or 50s just to keep writing TV shows or whatever, you get like fine shows but you're never going to get, like a TV show, say, you're never going to get that new thing that's, like, cutting edge and, like, holy shit, this is out of nowhere. And you you have people that can keep coming up with stuff, but it, it seems to just be, like, a real problem that we have of staying in the past. And that's what – it's weird that, like, Buddy Cole is able to be timeless. And mm-hmm. even though he's the, the quote-unquote, like, sissy type of whatever – he also is able to switch out of that and be anything. And well, I'm not interested in a disposable uh, idea of culture. And, and I do feel and I fight against this idea that the only thing that are interesting or exciting is something that came from an artist that's under the age of 25. And certainly, you know, young people are very attractive and beautiful and gorgeous. There's no denying about them. And they're also fucking annoying. You know, and it's like anybody who hooked up with somebody who is uh, 18 years old, who is over 30, knows that when the sex is over, you want them out of there because you don't want to answer all the questions that they have. Yeah, but there's you know? like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's also, but it's, uh, Orson Welles talked about it with Susan Cain because uh, somebody asked him, like, why did you do all that? And so it's again, like, what made you do those shots and like just crazy shit that had never been done? And he said, is so youthful arrogance. There's sure. nothing like it. And that is like because that's just a mindset. I don't think it's tied to age. And I think a lot of us as we as we get older, we just have the burden of responsibility. We have bills, we have projects and commitments when you're younger you're f- sort of free from a lot of those commitments. But you also don't care as much about who's watching you sure. and you don't parse your words as much and you don't stay away from ideas because uh, I think uh, that's why Steve I've Martin, been able to think- do what I do is because I, you know, I come from Puerto Rico and it's like the people anytime I've ever lived in anywhere in the United States as an adult has been as an outsider in the town that I'm living in. If it's been Texas or Chicago, whereas I talk to other gay men who are very self-conscious, they usually live in the places that they grew up. Hmm. And so they're very worried about what their friends and family are going to think when they say something that pushes the boundaries. Yeah. Steve, well, Steve Martin, I think it was Steve Martin. It was yeah, Steve Martin. I'm pretty sure said uh, when you're young, you're iconoclastic and you can make fun and, and like everything's funny, like AIDS, cancer, like anything. You can just be like, ha, ha, ha. Then as you grow up and like people around you start like getting hurt or you're affected by these things, you stop making fun of them in that type of way. And it is that punk rock type of thing. Like it's tough to be a 40-year-old punk rock unless you are 
an elder statesman like speaking politics. Then, well, you said but, like John Waters is kind of a, a sissy who's come into his own as an elder statesman. I said he is a sissy. John Waters is, is the quote unquote sissy type that you th- I feel like can handle himself. He's not the sissy of the old school. It's a different. There is he's part of the sea change that I think Paul Lind was fighting against because in and that they all were Milton Burl Groucho when they were getting old and like the and the Saturday Night Live people were coming up and like those people they were like the that old group as always happens like and it just keeps happening and happening it's like that's not funny you guys aren't funny here's real funny and like Milton Burl would do some jokes and it's like oh, oh that's oh. yeah and that's not funny but John Waters seemed to be of a new type of thing that was like I'm a sissy, but I'll beat your ass. Like, I'm from fucking Baltimore. And so it seemed like, or maybe he had a knife on him, or who knows what. He seemed like a sissy that wasn't Off going the hinge. to. He seemed like a sissy out of that counterculture that wasn't your granddad's sissy. Like, I'll fuck you up. Like, I, I might be a sissy, but, like, I have a bunch of other sissy friends that will come together and beat your ass. What about the experience of African-American gay men in popular music, uh, from Little Richard to uh, Men Little Who Sexuality? never came out, though. Uh, you know, he, mm-hmm. he never came out, but he was definitely, his sexuality uh, was well-documented. Tutti Fruity? Yeah. No way. Good God. Was it one of those songs is about falling in love with a crossdresser? <gasps> And, um, you know, he's uh, extremely cagey about his sexuality, but he uh, I mean, he's famous never, for his an androgynous look. He's never gotten married, which probably means he's straight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's only 85 years old. He says that um, he wore makeup and became more flamboyant with, you know, John Waters' uh, pencil mustache. He got that from Little Richard, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he wore the makeup so that white men wouldn't think I was after the white girls. Mm. It made show business easier for me, and it was colorful, too. But I'm pretty sure he was after. Well, I mean, he's gay, but I'm pretty sure he's been after some white girls. You know, maybe maybe you just do that pencil mustache so that you're white, so that the white guys are like, all right, you're cool. And then he goes and fucks your girlfriend. And at the core of all this, I want to leave you guys with uh, James Baldwin. Who is a pioneering black writer. Um, He was a regular on many talk radio shows of his time and wrote extensively on his experience as a gay black man in America. A new documentary. I think it might be on Netflix. I'm not your Negro. And he is the one who coined the or popularized the idea. If you're not angry, it's because you're not paying attention. He said, uh, to be a Negro in this country is to be relatively conscious and to be in rage almost all the time. He inspired so many people of his generation. Some of the greatest musicians and writers cite him as the, uh, the OG. He was Maya Angelou, Nina Simone, Toni Morrison, uh, and certainly, you know, so many people owe so much to James Baldwin and his writing and his ideas. And so if you want to explore um, the rebellious uh, sissy and get inspiration, uh, read his novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, or his collections of essays, Notes of a Native Son. Yeah, it really Notes of a Native Son. And it's also like it is a um, 
we're using the term sissy, but it's really a like it's sort of interesting to see the evolution of the sissy and how um do you think i'm a sissy i i don't (laughs) think so necessarily some people say that i'm a big old sissy and some people think i'm butch Hmm. i mean i bet i well i we contain multitudes so i'm pretty sure that one man's you're a sissy and you are butch i'm assuming depending on what what you are feeling (laughs) no one is just one thing like yeah no one's all bad no one's all good no one's all smart and no one's all dumb it's for the most part we're all kind of just a little well i wouldn't think of sissy and butch as binaries i think there's different shades of a of a gender palette that you can play with and certainly that's as gay as you can put a gender (laughs) palette that you can play with for christ's sakes yes you are sissy And it's interesting that that when I run into some people and they're like, you are not effeminate. You're because, you know, I like to think of myself when I shave and I take my time to contour and to put on a nice wig and a, and a perfect dress. I can be as uh, the most gorgeous woman you have ever set your eyes on with a beard. No, without the beard. Oh, you know, you have I, those blue sequences or whatever on your. I beard. can look really cute as a beautiful woman, and a lot of people don't think about me in that way. But when I think of myself, I sometimes think of myself in that way, and it's interesting. And I think it's humorous to me when my gender complexity of who I am comes into clash with what people throw upon me. And uh, some people, uh, I, I would say, like, you know, some transgender people, they find themselves very much at odds with that clash and find it extremely distressing. And their pain and suffering and anguish should be listened to and taken seriously. And then there's some other people like myself who look at that uh, discordance. I don't know. Is that a word? Uh, the, yes. the, that, that it, you know, one thing doesn't match what's in your head, what, what people see, see about you and think it's funny. And it's a source of humor. It's a source of joy. Um, when somebody when I'm at the grocery store and I'm like, thank you so much. And the woman goes, here's your change, ma'am. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. And I go, don't worry, honey. It happens all the time. <laughs> you choose always keep my money. <laughs> um, well, yes. And that that also goes back to. Why the sissy is a uh, comedic character. Jesse's uh, head is on my foot. It's really Aww. cute. Speaking of gays. <laughs> yeah, he's, got, he's the dog's hot for you. Um, it's uh, men are supposed to be uh, brave and strong. So when they're not and they have more uh, womanly features, quote unquote, it is funny because it creates an incongruity just in the same way when a man walks out in a dress, it is funny because we're not used to it. So if you're in like a normal situation that's not drag, just your everyday mainstream normal type of thing, and a guy walks out and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a beautiful woman here. And a guy walks out in a dress, it's going to most likely be funny because of the incongruity of your your brain uh, is thinking of it and since the expectations are going to clash, you will think it's funny. However, just like when two men kiss, that can be the entire end of a joke. And the problem I feel with Some Like It Hot, I recently watched it. It is almost all about how funny it is that a guy is pretending to be a woman. 
and the jokes are not great anymore i don't feel um but it could also just be that the movie has been cannibalized by so much else but anyway what i was going to say is uh with that you can laugh because like two men kiss each other and you're like oh my god it's two guys kissing each other and that's not uh what i normally see but we're getting to a place now and uh where if a guy just walks out in a dress and he's like that's it that's the punchline it's not really going to be enough anymore. If that Life is short, Brian Sweeney. Life is short. Fearlessly be yourself. As Antonio Fargas, as Lindy in the great comedy Car Wash said, Honey, I'm more man than you'll ever be and more woman than you'll ever get. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's funny as hell. Directed by Joel Schumacher, the gayest, the man who gayed the fuck out of Batman, putting nipples on his suit. <sighs> Joel Schumacher did Car Wash and the gay Batman movie with uh, all those quotes that uh, Alaska, the drag queen, quotes from. I feel so much yummier in this. My name's Alaska. What's yours? All that comes to is from uh, Poison Ivy in that Batman movie. That's the Joel Schumacher directed yes, that. The Joel Schumacher, the gayest Batman movie of all time. Joel Schumacher directed DC Cab, I think. To, maybe he didn't direct. Wait, let me make sure. He uh, Car Wash. Oh, Car Wash was directed by Michael Schultz. I'm sorry, I was thinking of DC Cab. So, uh, Brian, do you have any uh, plans for uh, Pride Month? It is June. Are you going to be uh, once again uh, burying your head under the covers while the parade passes you by? Yes. <laughs> Uh, very upset. Well, I'll be uh, with my friends at the Westboro <laughs> Baptist <Yes>. Church. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make America better. Trying to make the world better. Apparently God hates it. <laughs> if you know this, I'm talking me and my 12 other friends of the Westboro Baptist Church. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm gonna, it's Pride I'm gonna Month. Get gay as fuck. Let's gay it up, dude. Remember, folks. Oh, by the way, I, paint I, a I, rainbow over your door so that Mike Pence passes over it. <laughs> I, I I think Mark might be gayer than Mark you. Felian. Yes, your husband. Uh, I think I forgot it. Mark Felian. I, I forgot that name. That, that name. It rings a bell. How it comes up mixing pleasure and desire. Uh, I forgot. I remember, Mark. There used to be music in this house, and now it's eerily silent. You're like a old rose in Titanic looking through all the things. So I guess uh, on July 1st, we're going to be able to announce uh, what... Mark's been up to. So we got a. But I think. But when I listen, yes. when I listen to the show, Mark sounds a lot gayer. He than does. You. He he has That's like a I stereo- have a Bacall voice, a very soft and very sophisticated. When I'm like sitting here, I don't. Yes. It doesn't. I, I don't hear it. But when I've like heard it without you, without uh, like a disembodied voice, I just hear like Mark being like. And it says that a lot of time, well, a lot of time, you know, in Pennsylvania, what they would do is, it's like, God damn, this dude's gay. (laughs) (laughs) And he always tries to end Mark does a little bitchy stuff. And he's like, and so I said, well, you should. And so that's a Mark thing. Yes. I'm sorry that my beauty oppresses you. (laughs) (laughs) You just, your thing is just. Best Mark's. 
comeback yes. ever. Yours, yeah. You just keep going, horny over. Horny. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to that Meg Grunwald episode. You said horny in the Lady Bunny voice like every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, uh, People ask me to do that. I go out in the street. People, they they don't care about anything. They're just like, hey, Fausto, how are you feeling today? And I'm like, horny. (laughs) Come on, say it. Say it. Say it. Horny. I didn't do it. Wizzle wazzle. Horny. (laughs) Say it. Say it. No, you want to. (laughs) You really want (laughs) You sound like all those straight pricks talking about Anne Margaret. I was the star of that feature. <laughs> her and her stupid sweaters and big jumbo tits. Remember, folks, Feast of Fun is made possible because of your financial support. We can't do the show without you. Access 14 years of amazing podcasts by becoming a member at feastoffun.com slash plus, where you can listen to our in-depth podcast in about depth? In depth. Oh. <laughs> I was like, this show's metal now. In depth podcast about Paul Lind and his Halloween special. Oh, in depth. <laughs> We've done some good shows about the sissies also, too, with Peaches Christ. And you Ooh. can listen to those exclusively on feastoffun.com. We have so many amazing things to announce very soon. Season three of Cooking with Drag Queens is still filming, and uh, we're going to be having a bunch of uh, new faces. That's the thing I wanted to do with Cooking with Drag Queens. It's 98% drag race free <laughs> this season. And I think it's uh, you guys are going to be very, very happy with the new faces. And, of course, these queens will eventually be on drag race after the fact. But I like the you know. uh, drag queens that yeah. uh, don't cook. And they just like they're terrified. Yeah, or the ones that are vegan, and you're like, "Well, this has milk." <laughs> Sorry, <They're> like, <laughs> oh no, I'm a vegetarian. You're like, "Well, this is chicken." <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna eat it. No, uh, we're making uh, one of the next things we're filming is we're making ravioli. Ooh, with a secret twist. Ravioli. Uh... It's gonna be really yummy. Actually, well, I already made the dish for our Karma Nyberger, and she said it was one of the most delicious things she's ever eaten. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, some drag queens from a new uh, series that can't, uh, unannounced project are also gonna be on it as well. So. <gasps> Brand new stuff, folks. Just around the corner. More sissies than you can shake a stick at. If Get like, off my lawn, you sissies. sissy. I hate you all. All that fuss <laughs> over a bunch of extra S's. Uh, Brian Sweeney, thank you so much for, uh, what is it, sashaying down? What did we say was going to be a... Uh, Sissing Sissy down, that sissing walk, that down, walk down memory lane. You know, cinema history or something. <laughs> this is the type of fun stuff we do <laughs> off mic. Hey, I have an idea. Uh, something about sissying a walk. Go sissy that walk. Cinema history. Cinema history. Who is that? You know, actually, one thing before we wrap up. Who is your favorite sissy of all time? Besides me. Yeah, <laughs> Fausto, Mark, and Jesse. Who's your favorite? Who, of all these people we talked about, who do you feel like when you're blue and sad, you're like, you turn it on and you go, and you go oh my God, this is so funny. Uh, who stands the test of time? 
Wait, are we counting Buddy Cole? <laughs> because oh, obviously, outside, outside of Buddy Cole too, because uh, you know we know how much you are gay for him, and we prefer to be inside polish, of Buddy Cole. Polish his pole if you could. Um, uh, Rip Taylor. I don't know. I like when he he's like, huh, huh, can you believe it? Oh my god! Oh my god! He's just throwing something. He takes his wig off and fans himself with it. <laughs> <laughs> he takes off his toupee and fans himself. For a while, he was a regular on, on uh, talk shows, and he would just—I would just always know him as the confetti guy. Mm-hmm. And he would just throw confetti out, and and that was it. It was nothing. that's still what he does. Like yeah. he comes and he has a bu- he has buckets of glitter that he just throws into the audience. He's like, oh, can you believe it? Oh, I'm just kidding. he's at the end of every Jackass movie. They end it with uh, Rip Taylor. To me, I, my my favorite sissy of all time definitely is Paul Lind, just because he has oh, this whoa. seething anger behind everything, and he just hates the world. He's a bigot. He's a racist. He's sexist. He's homophobic, and he somehow manages to just you know keep going forward when when he's just you know ready to throw in the towel. And there's there's this adversity, like he's. He's a misanthrope. Yeah, he, he, he hates so much, and at the same time, he throughout that hatred, he builds something really beautiful. What comedy? Oh, well, he is Uncle Arthur, the warlock. <laughs> My feet are killing me, Samantha. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> They're literally guns shooting bullets at my head. Do you want me to die now? <laughs> oh, dick York, you dickhead. Fuck you. <laughs> I wonder how many. <laughs> it'd be great. Oh man, we should make just like a bewitched bloopers roll where it's just and like big drunk belligerent. Listen, uh, why don't you shake your nose into my asshole, you bitch? Listen, Elizabeth, I' gonna do this take one more time because we got it right the first time. <laughs> There's only two. T- There's only gonna be one. Two, that's it, I get I'm walking away. I hate you and I hate Anne Margaret the most. I hate you all. <laughs> you know him and uh, Agnes Moorhead. No. Right, that's what I like. <laughs> Moorhead. No. Just kidding. <laughs> get away from me, men. I hate gays. I love women, just kidding. I also hate women. I like Martha Ray, she's the only good one. <laughs> <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.